Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, November 29th edition of the Basement Academy. Next couple days, uh, as we get into the gymnasium of the soul here, we're going to get a workout, okay? Here's where we get into the beast and the number of the beast and all that stuff these next couple of days, and so hopefully you'll, you'll stay tuned in. This is when a lot of folks check out of the book of Revelation. Hopefully you'll stay tuned in uh, as we talk about the last word on politics. Wow. Try to set the hook so you'll listen and watch all the way through. Uh, let's begin with the morning psalm. Uh, day, day 29, Psalm 29, uh, the thundering voice of the Lord. Perhaps the, the trumpets, right? And the word of God and the reverse thunder, the prayers that God hurls back to earth the way he answers. So, so maybe this all ties together. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord and the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Amen. A companion psalm to a study of the book of Revelation. Lord, hear our prayer in the midst of our own world. May your voice speak to us today. Okay. <clears throat> Eugene Peterson in chapter 9, which would be the reverse thunder, chapter 9, he calls chapters 12, 13, and 14 the last word on politics. Buckle up, people. Here we go. <laughs> Um, let, let me start first by helping us understand the word politics. It, it's kind of got a negative pejorative term. Oh, it's all politics and politicians are corrupt and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And certainly matters, political matters have become very divided, polarized, angry, hostile in, in recent years, you know. We can go back into the 1800s and they're like dueling in the Senate chambers, right? So, so this is not a new phenomenon and it is not an American phenomenon. These are human phenomena. So the word politics itself derives from the Greek word polis, which simply means city. So metropolis... Uh, has to do with the, the mother city. It's, it's the, the maternal, like our word maternal comes from metra, right? So, 
So metropolis is just the large city, right? We think of politics in a way that doesn't fully understand. We have to find a way to order our shared lives together. If we're going to live in community, we have to find a way to order our lives together. And that, and that stretches from the smallest little city to, that is called a home, right? A husband, wife with children. That's a little city. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a polis. It, 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 we, it, we have to find a way to order ourselves. Here's how we do things around here. And so there's division of labor. Resources are allocated. There are responsibilities. There's accountability. You break curfew. You, know, you break the rules of the polis there is to be some enforcement of that, some punishment. If not, then that's really not a rule, right? So from the smallest human community of a family to the largest, a nation, or nations, right? We have to find ways to order our lives together. What are the means by which we make decisions? How do we make decisions? Who make decisions? Who's authorized to make those decisions? How do we allocate resources? How do we divide up labor? How do we make sure the work gets done? Chores, if we could say it that way, right? And so if we can think of politics in a more neutral context, not kind of American politics and Republicans and Democrats fighting each other, but Oh, what it means to be human. How do we order our lives? And so Adam and Eve placed in the garden were to live ordered lives by the word and will of God. They chose not to. And so they live east of Eden. We live east of Eden. East of Eden, we often find ourselves in conflict. We do not agree about the means by which we should live together. How do we make decisions? Who makes decisions? And what do we do if we don't like the decisions that are made? The children say to the parents, we don't like that. Okay, tough, go to your room. You know, I mean, there's different ways we, we handle that. And so what John is presenting to us here in chapters 12, 13, and 14, and, and Peterson articulates it, I think this is the best chapter in the book. I, I think this is the most important chapter kind of for contemporary life. But I, I've referred chapter nine of Reverse Thunder to people uh, for years. What, what John is presenting to us is the reality of two kingdoms or two polities that are in conflict. Two kingdoms in conflict, and that's the reality. Now, we can call it spiritual warfare, uh, Ephesians 6. Um, uh, we, we, can, we can call it many things, right? <laughs> But, but John presents to us the, the, the notion of two kingdoms in conflict. Now we pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Implying that the, 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 the kingdom of God, the will of God, the purposes of God are not perfectly done on earth as they are in heaven. And so there is this tension, this conflict. Deliver us from evil. Our Lord's Prayer that we say daily in the Basement Academy and maybe in your own homes and weekly in our worship services keeps us grounded in the reality of the kingdoms and conflict and these polities, these two orders. 
And so that's all John is presenting to us here in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Now, I mean, there's a lot going on, but in, in, in all the beast and the dragon and all of this stuff, we miss the, the deepest chorus, the core understanding that, that I think Peterson gets at so very well. It is about kingdoms in conflict. And so let me read chapter 12. I'm not going to read all 12, 13, and 14 today. I'm going to invite you to read 13 and 14 on your own. We'll pick up tomorrow and read 13. But chapter 12 presents to us an alternative nativity story. Very important as we prepare to begin the Advent celebration this, this coming Sunday. Chapter 12, The Woman and the Dragon. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, <clears throat> an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had, who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Buckle up, right? 
Wow. That is an alternative Christmas story. When I say alternative nativity story, the nativity story is the Christmas story, right? Uh, let, let me read what, what Peterson writes. This is page 120, middle of the, um, middle of the page. In the split-second interval between birth and rescue as the dragon is robbed of his prey, we recognize this child by means of St. John's description, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This is the one who will rule the world as it has never been ruled before, establishing a politics that will end all politics. The fiercely prophesied Messiah of Psalm 2. St. Matthew, using Isaiah 7, 14, drew our attention to the intimacies of Jesus' birth. St. John, using Psalm 2, verse 9, as his text, involves us in its politics. So you've got St. Matthew, you know, the virgin will be with child. You know, we've got all this wonderful, you know, Luke, uh, a to us a child to be born, you know, calling back to Isaiah's prophecies. Here, we have John telling the Christmas story through the lenses of Psalm 2, Messiah ruling, i.e. politics. The immediate consequence of the birth is not Christmas carols, but a great war spread across the heavens. Skipping over to page 121. It is St. John's spirit-appointed task to supplement the work of St. Matthew and St. Luke so that the nativity cannot be sentimentalized into coziness, nor domesticated into drabness, nor commercialized into worldliness. He makes explicit what is implicit in the gospel stories. The messianic birth takes place out of the womb of God's people in a cosmos resplendent with wonder. The entire creation is clothing for God's people who are Eve and Mary, mother to Messiah. The visibilities of creation and the invisibilities of salvation cohere in the action. The splendors of creation, the agonies of redemption combine in this event, this center where God in Christ invades existence with redeeming life and decisively defeats evil. That's the key. John's telling the story, the nativity story, in a way that, that God intervenes through Jesus Christ and decisively defeats evil. We don't see that quite as clearly in Matthew and Luke, do we? It is St. John's genius to take Jesus in a manger attended by shepherds and wise men and put him in the cosmos attacked by a dragon. Remember Herod? trying to kill the children when he hears of the birth of a child. So the slaughter of the innocents, that fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy that Matthew picks up on. John goes deeper, gives us a more graphic. It's the dragon trying to kill the child. The consequence to our faith is that we are fortified against intimidation. That's what John's doing, trying to fortify us, strengthen us. Our response to the nativity cannot be reduced to shutting the door against a wintry world, drinking hot chocolate and singing carols. Rather, we are ready to walk out the door with, as 
one psalmist put it, high praises of God in our throats and two-edged swords in our hands, Psalm 149. The double-edged sword represents the word of God, not a violence, right? Let me stop the reading there. So as we're getting ready to decorate our homes, if you haven't already, and start preparing through Advent, let us think about this nativity story. (laughs) Not the cozy chestnuts roasting on an open fire. The world wants us to have a cozy response to Christmas and, and, and to drain it of all its reality. War in heaven, kingdoms in conflict. And so this is why Peterson talks about chapters 12, 13, and 14 as the last word on politics. That with the birth of Jesus Christ comes to the fulfillment, comes to ahead, the, the, the work of God stretching back to the garden. Remember, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head and he will bruise, or you will bruise his heel. It, it's God speaking to the serpent. That ancient serpent, the devil, Satan. So what we have in Revelation 12 is this alternative nativity story. The dragon is the serpent, is the devil, is Satan, is the accuser of the brothers who who accuses God's people day and night. Chirping, chirping, chirping. Look at that. Look at look at Jones. Look at Smith. Look at look at Meeks. Look at, you know, they think they're good. Look at that. Look at what sinners they are. We are accused all the time. That voice in our own mind sometimes accuses us. God says, "Mm, I have delivered them. I have redeemed them. And so the woman and the child, the woman representing Eve, the mother of all, whose descendant, whose whose offspring will defeat the serpent. So you've got to get Eve in there. And then obviously Mary, right? The, 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 The mother of Jesus. But then the covenant community, The child is born out of a community, Israel. From you, Israel, will come one. (laughs) And so, who will rule? And then you also, the 12 stars that that encircle the the woman are going to represent the covenant community. So you've got the the child is Christ and then the body of Christ, the church. And so the, the dragon goes off, can't get the woman, can't get the child. So he's going to go after the offspring. That's us. And so John writing as pastor to the seven churches and by extension to all of us, when you are pursued, when you are harassed, when you are opposed for your faith, know that this is an ancient story. This has been going on for a very long time. And so stand firm, stand secure, okay? So that's... So the chapter 12 that I just read gives us that. Now, I'm going to ask you to read on your own chapter 13. Just for time's sake, I'm not going to have time to read it. But let me interpret a little of it for you, give you some framework so that when you read it today or tomorrow, maybe I'll read it with you tomorrow. Chapter 13 is a parody. So we're introduced to the dragon, the serpent, the devil, uh, the the, the, uh, Satan. And then we see two beasts, a beast coming up out of the sea. And so there's, there's stories, the sea representing chaos. That's why Psalm 29, he sits enthroned over the flood. God rules over the chaos of the waters. 
the waters represents an ancient symbol of evil and, and chaos and confusion and darkness. And so <clears throat> what we really have in chapter 13 is presented to us a parody of the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. We have a parody. We've got a dragon and two beasts with powers, right? The, the parody extends. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into the number of the beast tomorrow, okay? So don't, you know, that's chapter 13. So you, you're going to want to stay tuned tomorrow. Nothing like, like a number of the beast uh, lesson to get us ready for Christmas, right? <laughs> so what we have now is we're going to see a parody of the Holy Trinity and an unholy trinity. And we will see a contrast between the means or the polity, the means by which the Holy Trinity orders its community life, and the means by which the unholy trinity seeks to order its community. And so these kingdoms in conflict have contrasting and conflicting means, the means by which the community is ordered. That's why understanding the meaning of the word politics or polity or polis, the city, is so important. And so... <clears throat> John, in this vision, God through the Spirit reveals to John in, the, in very graphic and, and almost grotesque terms. Again, we have to understand the book of Revelation. It's so dramatic because John is writing now 60 years hence after the birth, of, I mean, I'm sorry, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So roughly we're in the 90s A.D., and the church has been there for a while and they're struggling a little bit and, and maybe they've fallen asleep a little bit and maybe this kingdom stuff and maybe this Jesus stuff isn't all that it was cracked up to be. And so, so Revelation is the wake-up call, the trumpets blasting, right? <laughs> Dragons. And so they would, be, they would hear Revelation 12 as it was read to them and they would go, well, that's... That's what Luke told us about with shepherds and wise men and, and oh, something else was going on back then. We didn't understand it. We, contemporary American Christians, have such a domesticated understanding of Christmas. We've got, we want Christ back in Christmas. We want everybody to say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. We think that's all it is. Friends, War in heaven broke out, and Herod's trying to kill that child. We don't tell that part in our, in our Christmas pageant. We don't have that with the children, do we, right? We act out, oh, the children, and oh, there's the cute lamb, and oh, there's the little drummer boy. There's no drummer boy in the story, right? That's an add-on, right, by Hollywood and Hallmark, okay? So what we're going to see John doing is presenting the kingdoms in conflict. And so stay tuned tomorrow and we'll dive into the number of the beast and some of these other things, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have delivered us, that we are saved, that you have protected us, that we are sheltered, that Christ is victorious. And so until such a time as your kingdom comes finally, fully, and forever, keep us enduring and persevering. And thank you for the saints who've gone before. And we thank you for these scriptures that are so dramatic. Lord, give us 
ears and eyes and hearts to see, hear, and understand. Lord, bless us as we begin to enter this Advent and Holy Season in days to come that we may understand and have the, the most holy Christmas ever. Hear us as we offer our prayers now. In the name of this child who was born, who now rules heaven and earth. And he taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God give you a deep abiding sense of the Christmas story this day and forevermore. Amen.